We're walking through a series on spiritual gifts. For the last three weeks, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. For some of you, that was a lot of scripture. And I, I don't mean that even jokingly, even though I joked about it a lot. But I, I admit it's hard to just go through an entire chapter or two of scripture, especially as dense of a subject as what Paul is trying to cover. The other thing I realized when we were doing this was, for some of you, uh, it doesn't matter much. Most of you come from a background where you don't have a church where speaking in tongues is the primary problem in the church. In fact, probably at most of the churches you grew up in, nobody's speaking in tongues. Nobody's uh, hopping up and down on the floor. Nobody is uh, seeking to prophesy in the middle of the service. And so maybe we're tempted to think that what Paul is saying really doesn't apply to us so much, but it really does have some impact on all of the spiritual gifts. We're moving into the rest of them now over the next couple of weeks. So we can finally start to address some of the other things. But tonight we're going to just process together some things. Uh, we've spent so much time in Scripture, we're going to actually process a few things tonight, and I want to get your thoughts on them. I want you to think about these three questions. Put them in your, put them in your mind. They may, the answer may sound obvious to you, but the church has been actually debating these for a long time. First question, does God still speak? Does God still heal? And are miracles still active? Like We like to think of a God who immediately, the answer to all three of those is, yes, end of talk, let's go home. That's the way, but... If they were so easy, we wouldn't be all arguing about them. And I think it really has to do with what do we mean by does God still speak to us? So I think that's uh, where we're going to start tonight. But before we do that, go to the next slide one more time, Anthony. Let's take a look at this here. Here's another question that's kind of the, the intro question tonight. Is experience a valid test for us to use when we construct our theology? A lot of us, when we start to construct our theology and somebody asks you a question like, does God still speak? What we normally do is we start to think of our own experience. Well, has God ever spoken to me? Do I know somebody that God has spoken to? Um, have, do I know somebody who's been healed? Has my pastor ever told me a story of somebody who's been healed? Is there evidence that I know of somebody in my life that's been healed? And we tend to answer the question about, does God still speak? Does he heal? Are miracles still active by what we experience? And I guess I want to ask the fundamental question that starts off this kind of debate. Is experience valid? I'm going to give you two sides, and I want to hear from you. I don't want to do too much talking tonight. I have some examples, but I want you guys to do the processing. On one side, people would say experience is real for us. I mean, if something happens, you can't deny it. And on the other side of it, there are people who say Scripture has to be the basis of our theology. And if the experience differs from Scripture, we've got to throw the experience out because there's something wrong with it. Whereas people who tend to favor a little bit of experience, they'll always say, hey, we're not saying that Scripture is wrong at all. We're just saying that maybe not everything is in there, or maybe God still continues to work. You can't just limit it to what's in Scripture. Let me give you a couple examples of quotes people would say. Here's two of them that I found. And both of these quotes are by people who are strongly charismatic, who are criticizing some of the more cessationist people, some of the people who think all this stuff is kind of a little bit out there. Here's one of them. You people, and especially ministers of the gospel, who claim that speaking in tongues is not for today, are, in my opinion, grieving the Holy Spirit. 
and missing a blessing from God. If you haven't experienced it, you cannot tell someone who has that it doesn't exist. Okay, do you hear that kind of sentiment they're throwing out? Here's another one, talking to another minister. You resort to Greek translations and fancy words to explain away what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church today. Let me give you a piece of advice that might just save you from the wrath of the Almighty God. (laughs) Put away your Bible and your books and stop studying. Ask the Holy Ghost to come upon you and give you the gift of tongues. Now, the word tongues appears in both those things, but I just want you to take that word out. Just fill in whatever gift you think is there. Healing, prophecy, tongues, something that's beyond just, of course, as we pointed out earlier in our, in our discussion before we started, nobody's really praying for the gift of giving all the time. Like, please give me the gift of giving. I want to give more. For some reason, everyone shies away from that one. You know, give me the gift of martyrdom. You know, no one's really pushing for that one. It's always the really cool ones that we seem to be desiring. You heard these quotes. What do you think? Are they right? Put away your Bible? That's a pretty strong statement. Put away your Bible and your books and stop studying. Yeah. You could tell they were going much more from emotion in their talk than what they were thinking because both uh, people expressed like grief and the Holy Spirit, like not for your sin, like the other one you're going to experience the wrath of God. Like the, they weren't just disagreeing on a point. They said, hey, don't, like, you're going to suffer hell almost because we disagree on this point. Because they had so much personal attachment to their belief to it, because they had so much experience through it. So you see emotion wrapped up in it, and also probably some sense of like, like it has some sort of spiritual consequence for being wrong in this debate. Yeah. Yeah. But is it valid? You think? I mean, that's a great that's a great observation, by the way, about both of these statements. Their sense is you got to experience it, and if you don't experience it, you can't say it's right or wrong. Let's just take that point. If you haven't experienced it. You can't really discuss it or describe what is right or wrong about it. Is that right? I mean, look at the gift of tongues. They reference that. We spent three weeks covering three whole chapters in the Bible about what the Apostle Paul taught the Corinthian church about tongues. I don't think that more than one or two of us have really ever experienced the gift of tongues, maybe in this room, if any. Is that valid to say that unless you've experienced it, you can't really talk about it or know what the truth is in the Bible. Or somehow that even whatever Paul is saying in the Bible is augmented by our experience. What do you think about that? I have a real hard time with the throwaway of the Bible part. That just really, I'm out of that school. If it doesn't balance with the Bible. The other part of the experiential aspect is I can remember the first time I was ever involved in praying for a healing, it was... Okay, God, I don't know how you do this stuff or if you really do this anymore, but can you please heal this guy? And when they went in at 7 o'clock, there was no tumor. It was gone. It was just gone. But before that point, I had no clue whether God did healings or not. So it sounds like you, you're taking a hybrid approach maybe, like you're saying you can never throw out the Bible, but sometimes unless you experience something, you don't really know if it's active or how it works or yeah I definitely experience can be something that can help give evidence for something but if we can't know just generally speaking not talking about even gifts we can't know something unless we experience it I mean then we're sort of out of luck because even like I think I've got designed it we're not supposed to experience everything that's correct I think where the tension comes I'm just going to tell you where the tension comes in this argument 
the whole Protestant Reformation and all of our faith, like kind of the ancestors of our faith, came up with a doctrine of sola scriptura, Latin meaning scripture only, meaning that the Bible only is the basis of our theology and our belief. And that's been a doctrine that's been the center of the entire Reformation. And all, whatever denomination you're in, if it's anywhere near Protestantism of any kind, whether you're from Lutheran all the way over to like the emergent church and everybody in between, has held on to that. What makes cessationists very nervous is charismatics seem to say that, well, I know what it says in the Bible, but my experience has shown me this. And that creates great consternation is a good word, I guess, for those very uptight people who are worried that if you get to say, but my experience has shown me this, then we could suddenly start adding to scripture and adding to doctrine. You're going to hear that argument over and over that we're expanding it. So that's why they're a little nervous about experience. It's not that they're saying, hey, experience isn't valid. They're saying, I don't know that it's valid to compete with or conflict with scripture. And I think most of us seem to agree with that. So I think that's where I'm going to kind of leave it. That's why this debate starts. I think most of us feel Scripture is primary. All right. Here's one comment, though, I'd like to make as an observation on those people who are very worried about experience. They criticize experience by showing you a video like the one you just saw of Benny Hinn. They go, they point to that. And we're going to talk about some extreme examples tonight. That was the, these comments were just the beginning. We're going to show out some other examples. And they point to those and say, you see... That's not orderly. That's not what Paul was talking about. That, 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 that can't be doctrinal. Why? Because they point to experience. It's actually kind of ironic that the very people who are bent out of shape about experience dictating theology, when you ask them what's wrong with all those people, all they point to is experiences. They point to, well, look what happens with this guy. Look what this guy said. Look what this guy says. Yes, it's true that they hold on to Scripture and they try to point out that it's not, it doesn't comport with Scripture, but most of their arguments are based on experience. They're based on, I went to a charismatic church once and this is what I saw. That's experience. Just like the charismatic who said, I heard God telling me this, or I saw somebody healed. I believe in that. The cessationist does the same exact thing, but they don't catch themselves in that kind of irony of showing up and saying, well, I went to a, a faith healing convention once and this is what I saw. So that's where people are on both sides. Let's dive into the real meteor stuff. If you go to this slide, does God still speak? All right, anybody think God doesn't speak? We, can, we could speed through that one pretty fast. Does anyone in here think that God has basically stopped speaking to humanity at some point? Okay, I think we're pretty much in accord that God still speaks. The real question is, does he speak through prophets? Does he speak through, I mean, we know the Holy Spirit nudges us. The Holy Spirit like, might bring a calling into our life, maybe put a burden, maybe speak to us through the Word, which is very much the way that most of us may hear from God. May send somebody into our life that speaks a word to us that they unknowingly mean something to us. I mean, there's a lot of different ways. But does God still speak directly? What do you guys think? Yeah. Can you define prophet? The terms change a little bit. Yeah, let's define it for the purpose of our conversation like this. Many charismatics believe that if you have the gift of prophecy, that the Lord will come to you and give a word for you that is directly from him that is to be shared with the church. And it usually begins with somebody saying, 
the Lord said to me, or thus saith the Lord, almost the same exact language that the prophets in the Old Testament would use when they spoke something from the Lord. All right. So while, since we're in the spiritual gifts series, that's the real question. Does God still do that today? Does he call up somebody and go, Ben, you're a prophet. And, and I'm telling you, I want my people to know the following thing. And then you turn around and you tell the body, the Lord spoke to me and this is what he said. Does that still happen? Okay, so you don't think that he really calls prophets, but he may just... The title, you know, prophet, but... Okay. Anyone else? I've uh, been looking at the scriptures where it says he has given some to be apostles and some to be teachers and some to be prophets in the edification of the saints. I believe that that is still going on today. And I know several different people that do have the gift of prophecy. And if you want to call them prophets, they can be female or male. Um, they're not... You know, they're not showboats. They're very, very humble and very discreet in what they do. But I've seen um, people on a consistent basis get very right on words for a church. What's, does anyone know why there is a debate about whether there's prophets or not? We've covered it in some ways. We've hinted at it all along. What, what does it come down to? Why are people so uptight about the issue of whether prophets exist or not? Because well, if there's prophets and God is still speaking, then could potentially be saying things that might differ from what's in the scripture or maybe adding to it then it's a question like well is this person actually speaking from God or are they just saying drink Kool-Aid and like who knows type of thing right. a lot of Christians are believe that well you like that scripture is done like God doesn't add or take anything away from it that's it and the idea of people still prophesying really is inherently adding scripture most of the time you know, Ben was onto something because he said it's really a definition of how you define what speaking means and what's prophecy. Let's look historically. In the Old Testament, God clearly sent prophets and they prophesied, right? We have written down what they said. Then between the Testaments, we have 400 years of God not speaking through prophets. That doesn't mean that God wasn't speaking to his people, maybe. He was probably still nudging them, doing things. I mean, we know, for example, that... Uh, Remind me of his name, the guy who waited for Jesus at the temple to be circumcised. Was it Zachariah? What was his name? Simeon. Simeon, thank you. And Anna were two people, wait, right? They were at the temple waiting. So God must have told them, like, hey, he's coming soon. You're not going to die until he comes. So it doesn't mean that God doesn't speak, but he didn't speak through any prophets. There was nothing spoken to the nation of Israel. He was just silent. And it wasn't really broken until John the Baptist shows up on the scene and starts to prophesy the coming of Jesus imminently. Some people say that after John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, pens the end of Revelation, that's it. God's done. He's not speaking through prophets anymore. Now we're just waiting for Christ to come back. Okay. Like you were saying, you know, we should not add to Scripture. Prophecy is adding to Scripture. Where do we get that ideology Revelation 22:19. Okay. Was the author talking about that book and the specifics? Just telling you where we got it. Not <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. So you you throw out Revelation 22:19. I think in fairness, somebody should read it, yeah. just so that so that like we're not we're on the same page. Ben, do you have it? 
And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Okay. I will also add that in 1 Corinthians, which we studied, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is saying, as for prophecy, it will cease. The big debate is over when. Charismatics say when Jesus comes back. Cessationists say like when the canon was finalized. But with that historical background, go ahead. I'm not trying to play games. I believe in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit, but I think it needs to be in line with what the Holy Scripture says. But we have been taught ideology and theology by people where it's like, wow, I don't know if it's been really thought through. Is it talking about the specific weight of Re Revelation has some very specific weight for the church? And then why is it certain other areas like Corinthians where it says, women, you must adorn your hair and your head and don't wear gold bracelets? We don't do that anymore. Why do we not do that anymore? And all of a sudden we just go, that's cultural. And then we take something, a look at something like this and go, we're going to sweep this across all the rest of the Bible. When the Bible says, and there are gifts of you know, there are, there are prophets and there are teachers and apostles. And when you prophesy, make sure you do it in order. And so there's, I, I just have a difficult time with sweeping statements on something like that. Okay. It is still definitional, I want to make clear, because you brought up something actually even more important than what you ended with, which is where did we get the idea that prophecy would add to Scripture? Philip's right. That's the argument that's made all the time, is that if the canon is closed, and we've already decided on the 66 books that make up our Bible and are the Holy Scriptures, then the danger is that what is added becomes Scripture. Now, why is that argument even valid? They say, God, if he's going to speak to a prophet, it's no less authoritative than Scripture. But I don't know if that argument actually holds water. I mean, there is a little bit of a leap there in that in that doctrine where you say that if God speaks to a prophet, it will become equal with Scripture. I think we all agree, Scripture is a very special type of revelation. Cessationists say, no, no, you can't have it both ways. If God speaks, that's adding to Scripture. I don't know that you have to go there. I don't think we have anything in the Bible that says that. But that is the argument. So that's where this debate is running is, is God speaking through prophets? Let me give you a couple examples of people who claim that they're prophets just to throw in tonight's examples. This is Kenneth Hagin. These are his words directly, by the way. I'm going to read them. He's talking about experience where he had, he wanted to marry a certain woman and he was preaching and he decided that he shouldn't marry the woman. And this is why. He says, suddenly I was gone. So he's in the pulpit preaching and suddenly I was gone. Right in the middle of my sermon, I found myself standing on a street in a little town 15 miles away and I knew it was Saturday night. I was leaning against a building and I saw a young lady come walking down the street. About that time, she got to where I was standing. A car came down the street. She got into the car and suddenly I was sitting in the back seat. They went out into the countryside and committed adultery. And I watched them. I was still in the cloud. Suddenly I heard the sound of a voice and the cloud lifted. I was standing behind my pulpit. I didn't know what to say because I didn't know where I just, what I had just been saying. So I just said, everyone bow your head. And we prayed. Always works in Christianity, doesn't it? You know what to say? Just go, let's pray. While I was shaking hands with people they went, as they went out the door, this young lady came by. I said, we missed you last night. She said, yes, I was over in blank town and named the town in my vision. On the basis of that vision, he decided that she was an adulteress, so he decided not to marry her. Is that from God? 
just an example of something because these are the people who say this is the revelations that I've received from the Lord and these are the kind of things that freak out the cessationists the most all right some of them maybe they're not so crazy some of them are just kind of silly here's a prophecy that came to Larry Lee he's also a big uh, charismatic these are his words again several years ago one of my dear pastor friends said Larry when I was praying for you the other day I had a vision I saw you with big Mickey Mouse ears Everything else about you looked normal except for those elephant-sized ears. When I asked the Lord to tell me what the vision meant, the Spirit of the Lord spoke back to me and said, Larry has developed his hearing. He has developed his spiritual ears. Is that something that we would say from experience, go, yeah, that must be from the Lord. This is what the debate comes down to. It's easy for us in terms to say, well, it could be this, it could be this. But what about these two that you just heard? How do we test those? Because the person who's saying these said, hey, the Lord spoke to me and told me these things. Do we just say, I don't believe you? Is there a way to test it? You can't put God in a box. I mean, God isn't just this Bible. He's, he's so much more. He's, and, and, you, know, it's just, you can't even say in words what God is. I think that's a good point because I think we tend to, well, when I analyze the cessationist view of you can't have God speak because it might conflict with what he said, it does seem to be very confining. It does seem to put God in a box where it's like, that's it, he penned scripture, it's over. After the first century, he can never speak again to us. Or at least he has to whisper and nudge us, but he can't just come right out and tell us something. I, I do agree with you that that seems very confining. But the bigger question is, how do you evaluate when somebody says the Lord spoke to me? Like, what do we do? Do we just accept that everyone who says the Lord spoke to me, we just say, yeah, we should trust that. I mean, you don't seem strange, and maybe it's right. Yeah. People who claim not to the prophecy should prophesy, and those prophecies should be tested. In the case of the, the lady committing adultery, I mean, that, that's, she either was or she wasn't. That's something that you find out. I think if you're going to be claiming to be a prophet, you should make prophecies that come true. The second one's a little bit, I mean, you can't really test that because there's nothing, you know, hard proof of it. I think if you have somebody who's claiming to be a prophet and he's saying, this is going to happen, or here's a word and it doesn't come true, I have a big problem with that. And it's hard to test, right? The second one with the ears is hard to test. Why don't you try to test that? But like, we should be striving to test everything. It seems like a good thing. It's not contrary to scripture. Because inherently it isn't. It's right. just a random fact. But it could be false. Right. So like, we have to be testing those things to know how to act truthfully. Let me follow up with that. Because I'm going to give you this example, which is the one that's the most cited one. So that you can evaluate, not a silly one like the Mickey Mouse ears, but one that really has taken on weight. It's on Oral Roberts. Everybody know who Oral Roberts is? Anybody heard of him? I mean, he's a very famous, charismatic... I'm just going to read you a, a quick page of the history. It's not very long. It's half a page. This is the chronology of his conversation with God. 1977, Oral Roberts claims that he received a vision or revelation from God. In the vision, he claimed that God told him to build the City of Faith Medical Center. He also claimed he saw a 900-foot-tall Jesus who said the City of Faith would be successful. Four years later, in 1981, he opened the City of Faith. 1983, Oral Roberts said that Jesus Christ appeared to him in person, not a vision, and told him to find a cure for cancer. So far, we haven't found the cure. 
1986, Oral Roberts said that God told him the following, I want you to use the ORU medical school to put my medical presence in the earth. I want you to get this going in one year or I will call you home. It will cost $8 million and I want you to believe you can raise it. In 1987, in January, Oral Roberts said that God spoke to him and told him that he had not sent out any medical missionaries from the university or city of faith. God instructed him to raise $8 million by March of the same year or God would take him home. Uh, presumably, it says here, God would either kill him or take him home like Enoch. The money raised was to provide full scholastic scholarships for medical missionaries who would be sent to other countries. $3.5 million had already been raised, but he needed another $4.5 million more by March 1st. So we're in January now. Got to get through it by March 1st in order to get the full $8 million and prevent God from taking him home. 1987, on April 1st, Oral Roberts said that he received $9.1 million, which was $1.1 million more than he was required by God. 1987, in November, so this is the same year from April to November, Oral Roberts announced the City of Faith would be closing. 1988. In January, Oral Roberts discontinued the medical scholarships. Apparently, he was no longer afraid that God was going to take him home. 1988. In March, the medical scholarship fund went bankrupt. If any students wished to transfer to any other institution, they were required to pay their scholarships at 18% interest. 1989. In September, Oral Roberts closed the City of Faith. When you were talking about things that may not matter if we got them right or wrong, nothing in this maybe contradict scripture, except that I don't know of a scriptural instance where God said, if you don't raise a certain amount of money, I'm killing you. <laughs> Other than that, that would be a new, new part. The danger to me that I see is, first, Oral Roberts does a lot based on what God tells him to do. Okay? So if you went through that chronology, you figured, that's a little bit strange. I mean, this leaves a lot of questions open. Maybe he's not hearing right. So I like your idea about testing things. But think of all the people that saw this very visible example of God speaking. And I put speaking in quotes because I don't know. If God speaks, you would expect it to happen. There's a lot of weird stuff in here. For example, the $8 million was supposed to be for the medical missionaries, but it went to the building fund, and then the scholarship went broke. He told them to build the city of faith. He's going to put medicine into the earth, and then all of a sudden the center is closing. When they asked him, why was the center closing since this was such a big thing? By the way, the center never actually opened. It was built, but it never actually was fully opened. It never made it that far. When they asked Oral Roberts why it was that he had done this, this is his response. He said that he asked God why it was that the city of faith wasn't going to stay open. And this is God's answer. I had you build, I, this is God speaking to him directly, I had you build the city of faith large enough to capture the imagination of the entire world about my merging of healing streams and prayer and medicine. I did not want this revelation localized in Tulsa, however, which is where he built it. And the time has come where I want this concept of merging my healing streams to be known by all people and to go into all future generations. So in other words, God was closing the center because it was just to show that it could be done. Now it's time to close it and send it all over the world. Yeah, it, wasn't, it was just a test. It was just to see if he would do it. Do you see the issue, I think, for us, if that's the case? Do you see the danger? How many people did it take to contribute that money? I mean, Oral Roberts on the TV asking for this money, saying, I'm going to be called home, I'm going to be called home. Part of the tragedy of the story for me is that he made it. 
Like, if I'd like to see what would happen if he hadn't made it. Like, you guys were talking about testing it and finding out. Like, if he'd come up short, you know, would he have really been taken home? Like, would we have just gone in, like, in K-Pax one day and he's just not there in the room anymore? You know, like, what would have happened? We didn't get to find out because somebody at the last minute gave a huge check and got him over the line to make sure that he stayed around. So maybe there is something to it that we need to be very careful of when we talk about God speaking. If I were to construct a test of God speaking, and this is just me thinking out loud, I would want it to be right. Like, I would want it to be right more than most of the time. I would want it to be right all the time. Because then I would know that the Lord was the one who was speaking. So that maybe the Mickey Mouse ears one's hard to test because I don't know that did, did that person get his spiritual ears? I mean, what are spiritual ears? But maybe it sounds harmless. There are people who are saying, this is just goofy. It's not working out. It's not right. The name of the Lord is being somehow used, but it's not coming true. It's just a thought. Do you think somebody like Oral Roberts does harm to people who are watching him, whether they're Christian or non-Christians? That's what they see there. Yeah. That's what God and religion is all about. Well, they don't know any different, but it's flipping through the channels and they see that. They're like, who wants to be a part of that? We're really not. And they always remember it, too. I'd be pissed, man. So it hurts Christians and non-Christians, you know. Well, I mean, a lot of it, the, none of it went to the medical scholarships. That, that was, even if you believe that that's what that God had actually spoken to him, that what God said in one of those "I'll take you home" speeches was to get that money out there for medical missionaries to get out of there, and it never actually happened. So it's not even. I mean, you got to look at it as either he didn't hear from the Lord or he didn't even follow what the Lord said. Either way, I think it, it's hurting the image of, of what we are. And, and whether we like it or not, these people represent the faith. They just do. I mean, the fame of the Lord is affected by what, what his followers are doing out there uh, to non-Christians. Yeah. Is it safe to say each of us being believers and having the Spirit of God in, in us we need to walk with God and talk to Him and ask Him for His sermon on a daily basis. Because literally, if something that happened in Scripture happened today, if we got a word like that today, we'd go, if John got it, we'd go, do, do nothing. That is not comfortable to me. But it may be God. Well, so, let me ask this question out of that. Is there a difference, though, between me receiving that word today and Peter? Is Do we, as a group, believe that somehow whatever happened in the first years following the resurrection of Christ and the establishment of the church should still happen now? I mean, is it the same? I'm not going to say, should I have the same abilities as Peter? Because there are so many ways to say, well, you might have different giftings, you might not have them to the same degree, but can we use Peter as an example? Can we use Paul as an example? Can we say, well, Peter, he did this. So today in the 20th century, 21st century, any of us, if we had that same gifting, should be able to do the same thing. Is that still valid? I want you to think about that question because when we come back next week, we're going to pick up with healing. You know, we talk about speaking today. Next week, we're going to really dive into healing. Who's healing? I, we probably all believe like we do today when we say, does God speak? Everybody's like, of course he does, right? Does God heal? I'm sure everybody's going to nod their head and say yes. The question is going to be, does God heal through people? Do people have the power to just walk up and say you're healed? Or is it more complicated than that? But one of the things that we have to analyze, I want you just to, just without even answering it, just start to think about it is, are all the things 
that happened in the early church among Jesus and later among the apostles equally valid for us today. It's going to be a, a, a really important that we work through that because a lot of people say, yes, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and nothing changes. The Lord never changes, so therefore we have all the same things. And other people say, hey, we're not apostles. There is a reason for all that that was going on, and that reason doesn't exist today. Just chew on it. Think about it. First Corinthians, actually the text we went through, it kind of was hinting at it. But think of the Acts Church, and we're going to leave it right there. Kind of leave it there. Let it kind of marinate. We'll come back and talk about healing. Look at a little bit more Benny Hinn video next week. Got a couple more that might be kind of fun as he actually talks to people who have been healed. Let's see what they have to say. That's it. You want to do a little bit of worship and uh, spend some time on it.